As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. One of Wisconsin's most wanted criminals, complete menace of the city, is caught. Tonight, that suspect is in police custody. Then released. It makes no sense whatsoever to me. And caught and released again. When someone needs to be detained, they need to be detained, period. How one young man posted cash bail three times in three separate felony cases before he was charged with homicide. Did that cash bond keep your family safe? No. No, it did not. We are still not safe. This week on Open Record. If money isn't going to work and money doesn't work, then we have to take a look at other options. Putting a price on public safety. Who knows what he's going to do next? From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, and I'm joined this week by Contact 6's Jenna Sachs. Hi, Jenna. Hi, Brian. We are recording this episode on Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. And as of the time of this recording, 24-year-old Kenneth Twyman is a wanted man again. In fact, local police have asked U.S. Marshals to go and find him for the third time. Only this time, it's for homicide. And the escalation in charges against Twyman was only possible because Twyman had access to a significant amount of cash. And that kind of brings us to the topic today. We're going to talk, as we have on this podcast before, Jenna, about bail reform. Right. You've done a number of interesting reports about cash bail. This is yet another. You did some good reporting on the Waukesha Parade incident, which also raised some interesting issues about cash bail. And this is a really interesting example of an individual with a record who has been in and out, in and out, as you mentioned, the U.S. Marshals have searched for him multiple times. Why did this guy, Kenneth Twyman, stand out to you? I think what made this unusual is if you look at his adult criminal record, now I'm sure he has a, well, I do know he has a juvenile record. I don't know all the details of it, uh, but he, he was adjudicated delinquent in at least one case as a juvenile. But his adult criminal record, there's only one conviction. It's a 2017 felony conviction in Ozaukee County. Uh, that has to do with drugs. What he has, though, that's really unusual is four open felony cases. He's not been convicted yet in any. He is still presumed innocent in those cases, although uh, many of those cases have progressed beyond the point of a preliminary hearing. But he has four open felony cases. And the first of those four was a pretty alarming case that actually landed him uh, on Fox 6 News as one of Wisconsin's most wanted, as designated sort of by both Fox 6 News' Angelica Sanchez and by the U.S. Marshals, who sort of provide some of these individuals. But th- that first case in 2018 was a pretty alarming case in and of itself. And Jenna, we were just talking about this before we started. What stands out most was the video that police found on his phone in that case, which really kind of made the story that we put on the air. It's video of Kenneth Twyman driving around Milwaukee neighborhoods firing an automatic weapon out of the window as he drives, just sort of indiscriminately shooting a gun 
multiple times out the window, no idea where he's shooting those bullets. It's pretty alarming video. I'll, I'll agree with you when, when you see it in the report. In your first line, what was it again? It was something about there's no question that this is a concerning person, something along those lines, right? Well, I, yeah, the, the, the line was it doesn't take a risk assessment. You know, you obviously mm-hmm. whenever they, whenever uh, criminals or I shouldn't say criminals, defendants, when accused criminals are uh, charged in Milwaukee County, there is a uh, an assessment done of their risk level, both for fleeing to not show up for court and also for committing new crimes. And there is a sophisticated sort of analysis that's done, a data-driven analysis to determine someone's risk. But you see a video like that, it's kind of like you don't need the data-driven assessment. Anyone who's willing to drive around the streets in a residential area aimlessly firing a gun out the window, particularly an automatic weapon like that, um, that's a person I think you can say is dangerous. So you mentioned he was on Wisconsin's Most Wanted on Fox 6. Can you tell me a bit about this catch and release history he has that you highlighted in the report? Yeah, so we started in 2018. It's September of 2018, and Twyman is, uh, he leads police on a, on a chase. Um, they, there's a traffic stop, he takes off, and uh, during that chase, he ends up crashing into a, an occupied car, an SUV, with a mother and three young children inside. And that mother and, and three children have written to the court and talked about how this traumatized them. They have nightmares, they obviously have physical injuries that they are still dealing with, but it's the, the emotional trauma that they really suffered. But after he crashes into this car, you can see on dash cam video from police that he jumps out of his vehicle and takes off into the darkness and gets away. And police had to stop their pursuit of him to go back and help the injured people in the vehicle and also deal with other people who were in Twyman's car at the time. When they go through his vehicle, what they find inside raises their level of concern because he has a significant amount of marijuana, not an amount for personal use. I think at this point it was like maybe a half pound, but they also found three digital scales, which suggests he's involved in drug trafficking. And they found seven flip phones, mobile phones. Um, That also suggests obviously drug trafficking as the the dealer would use a lot of different cell phones for communication and then discard them. Um, The one of those phones had that video. So They've already dealt with a high-speed chase, injuring, seriously injuring four people, innocent people, and now they see someone who had a rolling drug house, and on top of it, videos showing that he has these automatic weapons that he's shooting all around the city. It was at that point, he's out on the loose, that that police say, we need the help of U.S. Marshals to go and find him, and they called U.S. Marshals in, and U.S. Marshals did find him. They went to Arkansas, in fact, and picked him up where he was discovered a few months later, February of 2019, and then brought Twyman back to Wisconsin. So he was in custody for a while, but obviously he was able to post bail. Is that right? Right. So he's brought back. And remember, this was his second adult criminal case. One was a, a, a drug case in Ozaki County. Um, wasn't That wasn't a significant, I mean, I guess any felony conviction is pretty significant, but it wasn't a violent crime. Um, so in this this case, the risk assessment that was done on him showed he was sort of a moderate risk, um, and he was given a cash bond of $3,000. And within a short time, I think it actually was a few months before someone came and posted that bail on his behalf. And in June of 2019, so he'd been in custody now for about three or four months since being brought back from Arkansas. June of 2019, he is released. And for a while, he stays off the radar. And in fact, we don't hear much more about him, although he does miss, pardon me, miss some court dates along the way. 
Um, we hear about him again when he surfaces in summer of 2021. So this is two years later, more than two years later. He's picked up in Waukesha County now in another drug case. In this case, though, he was a passenger in a vehicle that was stopped and he had a personal use amount of marijuana on him. But of course, he's out on cash bond in another case where he's accused of being a drug dealer and all this violence and other things. So he's arrested, charged this time with bail jumping in addition to possession of marijuana. Um, in the Waukesha County case, again, a risk assessment is done. And even though he violates while he's out on cash bail in Milwaukee, they find him a low risk and they assess him standard supervision rules and a $1,000 signature bond. It's kind of hard to hear that he's assessed as a low risk when they had to find him in Arkansas, correct? And then he missed court appearances, violated his release. It seems um, to stand out that the U.S. Marshals would say he's a menace to society and and a menace to the city of Milwaukee. And then Waukesha County looks at him a few years later while, when he violated his bond in that case and says he's not a particular risk. I did ask Waukesha County DA Sue Opera about that. And her response was each case has to be judged on its own merits and his prior or other open cases don't affect or influence how they make that determination of risk. Um, I think others might dispute or argue with that assessment, but her, her assessment to me was it's, it's, you know, in this case, it was a low level marijuana case and the thousand dollar signature bond is appropriate. So he's released again on his own recognizance, essentially be just on a signature. He doesn't have to pay any money. So even though it's called a thousand dollar signature bond, what happens is if he then violates that one, he could theoretically owe a thousand dollars or forfeit that amount, but he didn't have to pay it to get out. So he's out for a second time with no additional cash at that point. Okay. So where are we now on the timeline? of his history. That's summer of 2021. And then in January of 2020, after that happens, by the way, he misses more court dates. He skips mm -hmm. another few. And at this point now, he becomes a wanted man again, and U.S. Marshals are called to go find him for a second time. So in January of this year, 2022, so we're all the way up to 2022 now, U.S. Marshals go and they find him in Milwaukee. He's in an apartment where his mother and sister live, and police find him there. And this time they find him, not only do they find and locate him when he's wanted, they find him with two pounds of marijuana and uh, more weapons, including a gun with a 17 round magazine. Um, he claims they're not his, that they, you know, they just happen to be in the same place, but uh, no one else in his family is wanted for any of these kinds of crimes. So he's charged with uh, a number of things, bail jumping, but he's, he's got these weapons, he's got the drugs. So he's charged now for a third time with a felony case. And this time, the original 2018 case, the judge says, we're upping your bond from $3,000 to $5,000. So an increase of $2,000 because of this second violation. And in the new case, the, the court uh, hears the defense who says he doesn't need any more. He can't even post the $5,000 and the other one. He, $1,000 would be plenty. And the prosecutor says, no, we, we think this is pretty significant. He needs a $7,500 cash bond. And the court commissioner agrees. He mm -hmm. says, yeah, I agree. This person's a danger. $7,500. He's a risk to flee. We've seen him miss a lot of court dates. He's a danger to the community. So $7,500. Now, you can argue, is $7,500 enough? Is it too much? Is it not enough? That's the challenge with cash bond is you're essentially trying to place a dollar amount that equates to a person's level of danger or risk of fleeing. And when it comes to criminal cases in Milwaukee County, 7,500 is actually a pretty significant cash bond. It's not like what you'd hear in a homicide. 
which mm-hmm. might be 100,000 or more. But um, in this case, 7,500 was certainly more significant than the earlier cases. What happens in all of these cases, so this is now, we, we brought you up to January, within three or four days of the new cash bond amounts being set, a, a relative or a person who identified himself to me as a relative of Kenneth Twyman, a, a man named Benny Williams, he shows up at the courthouse and he posts the extra $9,500, 7,500 in one case, 2,000 in the other. There's now a total of $12,500 cash on the table that says Kenneth Twyman's going to follow the rules and going to show up for court. And of course, we know his history says that's not going to be the case. And in April of this year, Twyman is, uh, according to a criminal complaint at a gas station, bumps into another uh, young man named Tavon Luckett. Tavon Luckett recognizes him. And a witness says, it looks like the two appear to shake hands and then there are gunshots. Tavon Luckett falls to the ground. He was shot in the neck and chest and he dies. And again, Twyman hops in a car and, and rides away. A week later, he is based on witness accounts now charged with homicide. So you've gone from one, you know, the, the 2018 case, the, the hit and run, the police chase, the wanted man, the whole thing, to another drug case in Waukesha, to another drug case with guns in Milwaukee, and now to a homicide case. He's wanted on four different cases, four felony cases all at the same time, and all because he had access to $12,500 in cash. So in your report, you interviewed a family member of the victim, Tavon Luckett, and working in news and in our newsroom, I know that we don't often do anonymous interviews or, you know, interviews in the dark. Uh, We don't do those all that often unless there's a real compelling reason to do that. Um, This individual was concerned about safety, I assume, given uh, the history of Twyman. Um, What did she have to say about everything? Well, and, and that you, you bring up a good point. Uh, certainly in the investigative unit and, and with our, uh, you know, with Contact 6, we don't do disguised interviews lightly. Um, there has to be a compelling reason. And certainly safety, personal safety in this case is a pretty compelling reason. The family, because Kenneth Twyman is still on the loose, we don't know where he is. Might be in Milwaukee. He might be somewhere else. We know he has family in Milwaukee. The family of the person he's accused of killing is concerned that there could be uh, concern about witnesses or retribution for talking uh, you know, to the media about this. So uh, when I was first contacted by the family, they wanted to sit down completely off camera and just discuss this. And after we had an off-camera meeting uh, about what I had found um, in his prior record uh, and what they had found, they agreed to do an interview but they ask that it be in disguise. Now, one thing I will point out, there were a number of people online who commented on this and I haven't addressed it uh, online because I tend not to get involved in a lot of the comments on social media. It's sort of a losing mm-hmm. proposition. It is. Uh, but many people said, well, you put her in disguise and then you went and said, she's the victim's aunt. And we discussed that beforehand. She was comfortable with being identified as the victim's aunt. Um, she referred during the interview to him as her nephew. What she didn't want is to be able for the for the uh, for the defendant to be able to identify her visually, to be able to identify her by name. So he doesn't know her name. He doesn't know what she looks like. He knows it's a relative. In fact, he knows it's Tavon Luckett's aunt. She was comfortable with that. And and once we made that agreement, I, I said it was acceptable to go forward that way. And I can understand again 
the fear that they're dealing with right now. They don't know where uh, where uh, Kenneth Twyman is. They don't know what he or his loved ones might do. And obviously the city of Milwaukee right now is embroiled in an awful lot of back and forth violence. So I think there's a real legitimate concern there. I was going to say, what is her frustration level? What is her I think her, her biggest frustration is that this guy keeps getting out and that cash bond hasn't kept her family safe. That he should have been, particularly after he was picked up by U.S. Marshals for a second time. Um, that's an indicator of someone who was deemed most wanted once, most wanted again, picked up twice, that he should just simply be held until his trial. And she didn't believe that cash bond should have been issued at all. But under Wisconsin state law, that's not an option. Under existing law, cash bond is a right under the state constitution. Um, and or, or bail of some kind is a right under the state constitution. They, people can be released without any cash, as we saw in the signature bond case. Um, even Daryl Brooks in the Waukesha Parade incident, if you really look back at that, he was given a cash bond amount, a million dollars per victim at the time. There were five that we knew of that had died. So he was given a $5 million cash bond. That's where it remains, even though a sixth person later died. If he could come up with $5 million in theory, Daryl Brooks could get out of jail and before his trial. Now, I can imagine what the public outcry would be on that and would the court find some other reason or way to hold him perhaps, but in theory, he could get out of, of jail if he had access to $5 million or if for some reason there was a groundswell of support on his behalf and they crowdsourced $5 million. That's what Kyle Rittenhouse did. He got out of jail because there was a groundswell of support on his behalf and people crowdfunded the, the, the bail amount. So that's how he was able to get out pretrial. So in this case, even though you have the victim's aunt saying he should have been held without bail, that's not an option under the law. And obviously everyone is innocent until proven guilty, but we hear a lot of talk about bail reform and what that means and how that could be accomplished, if it's necessary or not. Who did you talk to about bail reform and, and what the options are, if it is necessary to do some reform? Um, who did you speak with for their take? In this case, I talked to Nick Saner, who is one of the co-founders of Justice Point. And if you've never heard of Justice Point, or if you have, and you're not quite sure what they are and what they do, uh, Justice Point is a pretrial services agency. I mean, they have a number of different roles, but the primary thing they do, for instance, in Milwaukee County, is they serve as the agency that uh, keeps track of and communicates with defendants before their trials. They take down information about their address, their current workplace. Um, they make sure that they are aware of different appointments. They keep track of whether they make their appointments. And depending on their risk level, there's a supervision level that is associated. The higher the level of supervision, the more frequent the contact. And without pandemic issues involved, those contacts, the more serious the offender is or more higher level of supervision, those contacts are in person rather than over the phone. During the pandemic, everything's been over the phone, even for the most serious offenders. Uh, but as we're coming out of that, they're doing more in-person things. So that's Justice Point's role. But Nick Senior has also been involved for a long time in various justice issues. And one he's been a, a real proponent of is bail reform. But that's something, and we've talked about this before, Jenna, here on the podcast, it's a term that means very different things to different people. It depends on who you talk to. Bail reform means obviously just in some way reforming the way the bail system works. But what does that reform look like and what's the approach? There are very different approaches. Nick Saner's approach or his desired approach would be to eliminate the use of cash entirely. 
We know that Milwaukee County DA John Chisholm has said the same in the past. He said we should get rid of cash bail altogether. The concern being that the dangerousness of an offender is tied to some dollar amount. And how do you determine as a proxy for dangerousness what that dollar amount should be? And then the concern is if you apply a certain dollar amount, does that mean that someone who has more access to money, even though they might be just as dangerous as a person with less money, they have the ability to go out and be free while this other person is held. So they say it's an unfair system that's really more based on wealth uh, and poverty rather than it is on dangerousness. What they would like to see instead, what Nick Saner would like to see instead, is a system that is based on risk strictly. And if you meet a certain threshold for risk, you're held pretrial. Even though you're presumed innocent under the law, there's just too many elements of risk uh, at play. You're a danger to the community. We should hold you until you're adjudicated. And that would require, in the model that he foresees, the model that the state of New Jersey is using, that would require a hearing, a detention hearing, that would the state would have to present its case, the defense would make its case, and a judge would have to make a determination if someone could be held. Otherwise, the default assumption would be you're released without bail. And that's where this gets very controversial, because there are many people who view that and think that means even more dangerous people are going to get out of jail uh, without even having so much as cash on the line. And that is one of the reasons that this is a controversial thing and, and why it's only one approach to the problem. Where do things currently stand with bail reform? Are there any efforts underway or, or signs that this might change, that we might see any changes to the way we do things here? Well, right after the Waukesha parade incident, obviously there was a lot of attention on this issue because we all know Daryl Brooks uh, was had been in custody just days before the parade and was released on the $1,000 bail for a second violent crime that was pending. Um, and and DA Chisholm later came out and said that was an inappropriately low bail. So a lot of the focus after the Waukesha parade incident was on low bail. Like they just need to set bails that are higher. And there are a number of lawmakers uh, particularly Republican lawmakers in, in, in the state of Wisconsin, who came up with various proposals to raise bail in certain cases or with certain types of crimes. State Senator Julian Bradley had three proposals in particular that would have set a minimum bail amount for certain offenses or for people with prior felony convictions, or if you'd been convicted of bail jumping, um, you know, $5,000 minimum, $10,000 minimum, uh, and then it could go up from there. A different approach, and this is, was also something pursued by uh, Republican lawmakers, uh, State Representative Cindy Duco was spearheaded a change in the con a constitutional amendment, uh, a change in the state constitution. And the reason for that is, as I said earlier, bail is a guarantee right now in Wisconsin. It's a constitutional guarantee. Um, everyone has that option. It's just a matter of what a dollar amount the court sets on that. They want to change, but, but the thing of the state constitution that's tricky is it actually says that that cash amount can only be set at an amount that is necessary to bring a person back to court. According to the constitution, it has nothing at all to do with public safety risk. Now, we know that courts and prosecutors tend to still use risk as a proxy for the, the correct amount, but it's really not supposed to work that way. So the, the first step these lawmakers see is let's change the constitution to make it clear that courts can in fact set dollar amounts that are based on public safety risk. That constitutional amendment passed, but before it could become a part of the state constitution, it has to pass another legislative session and then go to voters in the state. So the next legislative session, this is going to come up again. And then 
conceivably the following year it would go before voters in Wisconsin. Is that the solution? Even the people who push it say it's not a solution, it's a step, but it is certainly one approach that would open the door to raising some of these bail amounts, but it's a different approach than eliminating cash bail altogether. Again, there are various views on how to do this, and I think it's something we're going to be hearing a lot more about in, in uh, you know months and years to come. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky subject because we know that our court process, especially criminal courts, can be slow. You know, things take time, and I assume some of these defendants may have families they need to support. They may need to go to work. There may be reasons that they need to get out and not be held for, for months on end. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real tricky subject to try to figure out how to handle. And what makes it the most tricky is what you said earlier, the presumption of innocence. It's one thing to look at convictions and say, what should the sentences have been for these convicted criminals and and argue whether or not judges are being harsh or strict enough with their sentences. In this case, a lot of people will see someone who's charged with a heinous crime and will say, lock them up and throw away the key. Well, that's not the way our criminal justice system works. You have to convict someone before you can lock them up and throw away the key. In this case, we're dealing with the tricky question of what to do with people before they've actually been convicted of a crime, but we know there's a high level of reason to suspect they are in fact guilty of that crime, enough that a judge or a prosecutor has charged them, enough that a judge has found enough cause to bind them over uh, beyond a preliminary hearing. What do you do in that meantime with those people who we know pose a serious risk to the community but have yet to be convicted? And, And you mentioned people being away from families, away from jobs. For someone who's facing just a low-level drug possession charge, let's say. Maybe there is no other most wanted history in their past. If you keep that person locked up for months waiting for the courts to catch up on their backlog, and they do lose their job, and they are away from their family, and they have all sorts of negative consequences in their life, there is evidence, there are studies and research that shows that pushes them more toward future crimes because they become more destitute, more desperate. It, it causes a lot of societal ills. So the, the, the balancing act that the people trying to figure all of this out are, are, are trying to determine how to, how to you know, figure out is how do you make sure the people who don't pose a risk can get out and be productive citizens until their trials while making sure the people who truly are dangerous are the ones who are locked up the devil's in the details. How you determine who the dangerous people are and can you and will people buy into the system that keeps them locked up? If everybody could agree on that, this would be a lot easier problem. Unfortunately, it's not that easy. And that is a good time for us to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more casual, have a little fun by answering a question for which we have not prepared. And here again this week to ask us that question is executive producer Sarah Smith. Hey, Sarah. Hello, hello. Today's question, I'm going to start with a little bit of an asterisk. So the answer to this question, you're going to, it's a fill in the blank. Um, Let's just say that the answer can't be like, my family, my kids, the you, like the obvious ones. Okay. Because we know you love them most days. Um, Okay, so here's the sentence you need to finish. There are few things I love more than... Ah! (laughs) See, and that's where I I was going like, okay, so Mm -hmm. there are few things I love more than liquid nacho cheese. (laughs) Seriously? Oh my gosh, it's gold. And that Gale's liquid cheese that they sell, oh, it's so good. Like at the ballpark? Yes. 
and now they have it at Quick Trip. Not sponsored. You um, know, I'm I'm not a fan <laughs> of the liquid cheese, but the like the the not. I mean, it's fine, but the the um queso that you can get, like you know, Ooh. little queso jars. Um, I dip pretzels in those. Outstanding. So good. It's just there's something about it, like glugging out as mm-hmm. golden and just I don't know. It's just far superior. If you're gonna have nachos, it's far superior for me than just shredded cheese. Now you, you need know, to have the right chip to liquid cheese ratio because they make some chips soggy. So you need to make sure you have a second chip as a crunch. Anyway, so <laughs> it's an you, art. <laughs> do you want all the toppings or just oh, the yeah. cheese? Oh yeah, oh sure. But for my cheese layer, it needs. I want it to be liquid. <laughs> I, it, yeah, last meal will include liquid cheese. Anyway, Jenna. Well, I feel it's funny that like our, our mind automatically goes to food, <laughs> but I, I have a real soft place in my heart for Dairy Queen. Like ice cream from Dairy Queen. I just, I love, I love Dairy Queen in the summer. Like a butterscotch dipped cone is my choice. And you know, when I was a kid, we used to spend our summers in this little village and we would get a couple bucks and we'd walk to Dairy Queen. And it was one of those outdoor ones where you order at the screen window. And I, I, there's like something sentimental. It's like not just a chain to me. I, I love going to Dairy Queen and getting ice cream even now. So that would, that would be mine. We're going to go off the food uh, track for a minute. Yeah. I think I, yeah. I think because today is close to one of those days when it's like around 70 degrees, mm. sunny, low humidity. Oh. And but but to top it off in this isn't today, but you're like you're, you're heading out somewhere early in the afternoon and there's maybe it's like Summerfest or State Fair or there's a in a big event or you're going to see a bunch of friends and you you just you get there and you know like I've got the night it's beautiful out it's a great Mm -hmm. day and to me that is and you're about to because I'm a very social person I'm outgoing I'm an extrovert so knowing that I'm free tonight there's no work and I'm gonna go have some fun on a beautiful day I just I don't think you can beat that that's why if there's like a summer fest day that's not oppressively hot and you get there early I love even if it's just for the people watching I love that and you know you're smart to bring up the weather too because this year we haven't had like the spring that we usually get to enjoy so i feel like even just mentioning like it's a sunny day and it's near 70 and it's beautiful out like that is something we aren't taking for granted either well i took the dogs for a walk this morning and before recording the podcast and i was i just had that moment of like this is the perfect weather. It's not mm-hmm. too hot. It's not humid. I don't have bugs. You know, there's not a lot of mosquitoes quite yet. And uh, it was just, and it's sunny. So yeah, it was it was great. Now, of course, I say that and it's going to rain this weekend and be like 59 degrees. But hey, enjoy it while it lasts, right? Right, right. I would also be remiss if I didn't say that there are a few things I love more than coffee. Ah. <laughs> hot coffee is just like the bee's knees for me and if i get to sit on my front porch in the morning when it's still kind of cool and everyone's sleeping and it's silent oh my gosh just like from the keurig with some creamer or black um i do a a little bit of cream a little bit of like splenda which probably kill me dead but anyway yeah so it's just man there's something and i love it hot like right out of the pot i don't even let it cool it's so good meanwhile my husband is one who lets it get like lukewarm which is so gross but he's like well it's too hot anyway i'm I'm impressed by the black coffee drinker do you drink black coffee brian all i've ever had is black coffee i don't (laughs) put cream or sugar in it and it started when i worked in radio because i worked overnights and we had a coffee pot just like one of those commercial little glass coffee pots and and they had like 
you know, commercial little packets of coffee or whatever that you put in. There was no cream or sugar around. And I needed like that was the first time I ever needed something to try to stay awake. And I was like, well, I'll just start drinking coffee. And I was in probably my late teens, uh, early 20s at the time. And uh, and I just became nothing but a black coffee drinker. And I've, I've always liked I like darker beers. Um, I like dark chocolate. So I like the, the bitter doesn't bother me. So I like dark coffees. I like, you know, dark roast. Um, if it's something that's sort of a lighter roast, I'm not as big of a fan. Although sometimes I like a little more flavor, like maybe a, a hazelnut or something like that. But but I like coffee with some bite to it. I will say I knew I was addicted when <laughs> like I was I used to always need like all oh, this cream and all the sugar. And now I, there was one point where there was no cream, and no sugar. And I drank it black. And then I was like, this is I knew I've made it like if I can drink this black coffee and not need it's like I V it right into my arm. So. You know, it might have turned me off to anything else in coffee. And it, it, it's going to seem like this would have been totally unrelated. But I worked as a dishwasher at, a, of all places, a grocery store restaurant, um, Schnook Station restaurant when I was growing up. And, and on the weekends, they would do buffets and like Sunday brunch buffets. And I would get all the coffee cups come back into the dishwashing area where people had loaded them with cream and sugar and everything. And then they'd throw their cigarette butts in there because back then you could smoke <laughs> in restaurants and just a coffee mug that was like a, this creamy color with cigarette ash. It just grossed me out. So to me, like black coffee is clean yeah. and simple and doesn't have a lot of other stuff. Yeah. I don't know why that well, still thanks, stands out. Brian, to me. Thank you. I know that you <laughs> needed that story today. No, I'm impressed. I, I'm, I will acknowledge I like coffee creamer. I really uh, came to realize recently I don't like coffee as much as I like the coffee creamer. And I know that doesn't sound as cool, but that is what I am. I've got coffee cream drinker. Denise is the same way, my wife, because she, she will go to, she doesn't particularly like coffee, but if she goes to Starbucks and can get a really good like frap with a lot of the whipped cream on top and some maybe, you know, chocolate drizzled in there. If there's a little bit of coffee bite, you know, or taste flavor to it, fine. But she, she could do without the coffee part. So I think that's a good time to wrap things up. If you have a topic you would like us to discuss on Open Record or an issue you think we should investigate for Fox 6 News, please send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. Again, that is fox6investigators at fox.com. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Jenna, thank you for joining me again this week. I am always happy to. And of course, always thank you to our editor, Dave Machuda, and executive producer, Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back again next week. Mm-hmm.